Maine's first Smithsonian affiliate, founded in 1928 at Sir Dimon Spring in Acadia National Park, and open year-round in downtown Bar Harbor with two locations and one mission to inspire new learning about the Wabanaki nations with every visit. More information at abbeymuseum.org. It's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and streaming online at WERU.org. Wabanaki Windows with your host Donna Loring is up next. Welcome to Webinaki Windows. I'm your host, Donna Loring. Webinaki Windows is a monthly show featuring Webinaki perspectives, topics, and opinions, as well as interviews with Native artists, writers, and people of interest. Today, we'll be talking with Ambassador Molly and Dana of the Penobscot Nation, and we'll be discussing uh, what's going on uh, in the State House and a few of the uh, the bills going on uh, in reference to uh, the tribes, and uh, actually, how the what the atmosphere is like down there nowadays. So, Mullion, welcome to the show. Good morning. Uh, so, when was the last time you would? Let's back this up. Uh, were you in the? Did you go down to Augusta? during the LePage administration? Maybe once or twice. I never had a meeting uh, with Governor LePage. It was more, um, I think I attended the Democratic caucus once and um, and went to support um, bills that basically died in committee. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So that we didn't have much success back then. Huh? No. Uh, so now, uh, currently, how do you find the atmosphere down there? Um, it's like night and day. It's very different. I think with the shift, obviously, in the governor's office and also um, kind of allies and friends of ours um, getting into the legislature and um, into these committees, it, it's had a, a great effect on probably many different groups in the state that have been less than visible there, um, that have been kind of silenced in, in the political climate. I think that um, Governor Mills has taken some steps already to kind of live up to her saying there of welcome home. <laughs> and, and you do feel it in, in the state house. Yeah. Okay, so um, you've been working on an issue for many years now. Mm-hmm. And so let's talk about the, for a few minutes, the, the mascot issue. So tell me about what's happening with that. Sure. Um, so I feel like I've been on this show about a dozen times now talking about <laughs> just this issue. So I, I'm hoping people have a working knowledge of it. But but just in case you don't, um, I have been personally involved in, since I was a teenager in advocacy for the removal of Indian mascots based on a lot of things we've talked about on the show with other guests, um, different studies and recommendations by by boards and organizations that say removal of Indian mascots is really the way to go for uh, children in school and and really for society because they promote harmful stereotypes, they oppress and marginalize indigenous people, and and just there's a a litany of reasons to, to move beyond this racist practice. So the state of Maine had upwards of 20 
Indian mascots in different high schools and colleges. And we've seen them all change over the years through a lot of different collaborations with uh, tribal members such as myself and um, working with these schools and different committees and such in, in these communities. And the last holdout was Skowhegan High School. And there's been a very messy public back and forth since uh, really the early 2000s, but really heated up in 2015 when they voted to keep the mascot after a consultation with um, tribal people and people in the community. So fast forward to this past uh, March, they voted, or February, excuse me, they voted to finally remove the mascot. And now when you say they, who's they? The school board, sorry, the, the MSAD 54 district school board. So the district, not the local, the district. Right, I, okay. I think it covers um, okay. maybe seven or eight different towns. So, um, and Skowhegan is the town that has the high school. And they do a weighted system of votes. So uh, each representative has a, a certain you know amount of votes. So it doesn't look like a straight, I, I think the vote was 14 to 9, but the actual with the weighted votes, um, it, it was even a bigger uh, margin to remove the mascot. And that's really a credit to a lot of people. Um, there's been tribal citizens from all the Wabanaki tribes working on this through the years. And, um, you know, all the chiefs of the Wabanaki nations were on board with this most recent request to remove the mascot. And there's been a lot of people locally in Skowhegan and surrounding towns that have taken this on and worked really tirelessly showing up to all the school board meetings, talking about the environment they want their children to go to school in and the the kind of removing this dark cloud over their community. For better or for worse, Skowhegan has kind of gotten to be known for this mascot thing. And there's a lot of people there that want to put it to bed and want to move on, and, and they've worked so hard. So the meeting in February, uh, they voted to remove the mascot, and it's been met with some resistance uh, of people in the town. They call themselves Skowhegan Indian Pride. They were founded by a school board member who has kind of taken it upon herself to lead the charge to keep their mascot. Um so the mascot is gone. They are kind of, uh, it's in this push and pull now between Skowhegan Indian Pride and the school board that has voted to remove the mascot. They've actually circulated a petition and presented it to the school board and are kind of demanding that a referendum question be put out to all the towns in the district. Uh, basically, the question would be, would you vote for um, bringing back the Indian mascot. And they're trying to do this uh, concurrently with a budget approval for the school. So it's almost like we won't vote to approve your budget for the school systems if you don't give us this chance to bring back the mascot. So that's all going on. Um, they're also rallying every weekend. They're standing on corners dressed in quote unquote Indian gear. <laughs> that's their words. What's, what's Indian gear? What does uh, that look like? Lots of um, black and orange. You know, it's their school colors. Lots of feathers on stuff. They're, they we've seen this gross, <laughs> for lack of a better word, um, resurgence of a lot of the <clears throat> kind of stereotypical garb and uh, excuse me. Yeah, they, uh, they've they come up with <clears throat> a logo that is an Indian head with feathers around it, and it says Indian Outlaws, um, which is 
ridiculous. And, and that was actually a school board member that, that brought that up. So they're rallying, they're standing on corners, they're honking horns, they're yelling. And um, while this has all been going on and while they're still fighting with the school board, we've created this legislation that I think is extremely important, even though technically we've removed all these mascots now. Um, we want to make sure that communities can't bring them back. So, and I think where it is a civil rights issue, it should be state policy anyway. So uh, Benjamin Collings, the representative from Portland, worked with me to draft this bill, and it's basically an act to ban Native American mascots in the state of Maine in public schools. And the act, it's pretty short. It, it basically says what it is. It's, you know, schools cannot use imagery, names, um, tribal, you know, anything in a stereotypical manner. So this legislation has been kind of working its way through the process as these events have been unfolding in Skowhegan. And um, right now we are at, uh, we had a public hearing there was just an outpouring of support for this bill. Uh, Skowhegan Indian Pride did have a presence at the hearing. I think it was like 40 speakers to five speakers maybe um, in support of the bill. So it was very, um, you know, weighed heavily on the side to support the ban on mascots. And it has passed the committee now, uh, the Committee on Education and Cultural Affairs, and we'll be seeing it in the House um, probably very soon. So the legislation is is very important, and, and I would really urge people to uh, contact their, their reps and senators because it, it's a huge uh, statement about equality and respect for Indigenous nations in Maine. And so that's LD944? Yes. So that's the mascot. That's the mascot bill, and you, and it's coming up for debate in the House, right? That's correct. And that's when they'll start voting right. on that issue when it comes up for debate. If it passes the House, mm -hmm. then it'll go to the Senate yeah. and then back and forth. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's still got a little bit to go, but mm -hmm. uh, what does that look like overall to you? Do you uh, do you think that uh, it's got a good chance of passing? I feel <clears throat> Excuse me. I feel good about it. Um, I think that it, it's time in Maine. We talked about the evolving uh, climate in, in politics, and, and I would hope in Maine society in general. I, I think it's really easy to get discouraged because we read a lot of the ugly things um, and the attitudes that still persist. But I do think that leadership sends a clear message. And when you have things like equality and respect and, and true honor trickling down from the top, um, we're going to feel those kind of vibrations throughout society. And I think that this mascot bill and some of the other bills, they may seem kind of symbolic or kind of, um, you know, things on the surface, but it, it sets a huge, it sets the table for respect in a way that we haven't really seen before. And I feel good about the work we've done, not just with the governor's office, but with a lot of lawmakers in the state. They're really starting to be interested in learning about the issues and the history of Wabanaki people of Maine. So I, I think it's um, it's going to take a little hustle, but I, but I feel good about the mascot bill. Now, what do you, what do you say to Native this, I guess there are some Native people, mm -hmm. or at least one, <laughs> in, 
in uh, Skowhegan who mm-hmm. uh, wants <laughs> to keep that mascot. Right. So what what's your response to to that? I guess I guess their position is that it hasn't done damage to to their family. And mm-hmm. uh, what do you say to that? I think that's great. I think that um, if you can get through that experience with your um, sense of self and identity intact and you don't feel harmed, then then good. I, I would never wish harm on anybody. But you're you're going to be hard-pressed to find any group of people or, or a, you know, a portion of the population that is going to agree on every issue all the time. So you are going to see Native people that either are clinging to this identity because they haven't known kind of the quote-unquote real experience of, of growing up as an Indigenous person. Um, so when they see a proud, strong, brave warrior face and they want to identify with that, um, that's common and it happens and that's good. Or you, you may see people that are kind of bullied into silence, um, and they kind of go with the flow and this is what their neighbors and friends are doing in Wells high school. When they were looking at the warriors mascot, there was um, a, a man from the town. He was older, and he said, we had an Indian family here, and they loved it. Uh, they loved the Warriors mascot. They sold us things in town, and you know we bought their little feathers and their trinkets and stuff. And a woman was on our panel, and she said, yeah, that was my father, a Penobscot woman. She goes, and he was terrified of repercussions if he didn't go along with what everybody in the town thought of us. And uh, we were already a minority here, so it was survival to to play nice and, and to play, quote-unquote, Indian. Um, so we see that happen a lot. And then I think even if somebody really identifies with these and they're feeling strong about it, it doesn't take away all of the scientific data that points to these mascots being harmful and wrong. So I think that it's never my intention to silence anyone's voice or invalidate their experience, but it is my job to bring forth the truth. And that is that it's not an opinion that these mascots are wrong. It's absolutely fact. And if we're saving a lot of the, the health and well-being of not just indigenous students, but all students, then, then I think it's okay to take this mascot away from people that, that may think fondly of it. So hopefully you're looking forward to the passage of this yeah, to, to solve the issue, uh, hopefully once and for all. Absolutely, we hope. Okay. So then there are, other, there are a few other bills that mm-hmm. are in the legislature right now, and um, we just had one uh, come up. Well, we had a couple uh, in committee that I know of, and uh, one was the uh, it's LD735, and that's uh, that would put a seat on the uh, Maine Municipal uh, Police Academy board. And I understand that the tribes have been have put legislature legislation in for that seat now for like this. I think this will be the fourth year they've done it. And uh, so you were at those hearings, right? Mm-hmm. That so, what did you think of that? I think it's great. Um, yeah, former representative for the Passamaquoddy, uh, Matthew Dana, was the one that had, had tried to get this bill passed, and it always kind of hit roadblocks when it got to uh, getting people on board that were in charge of the academy board, I, I believe. So to see kind of everybody come together and, uh, and and testify in support, I think, made a lot of difference. And I was able to read testimony of our police chief, uh, Robert Bryant, 
and he spoke about uh, the need for diversity and inclusion and uh, a heightened a heightened level of understanding between racial groups in Maine and and making sure that that our voices are heard on this board because this is where all the officers will go to learn about the communities of Maine and and it's kind of a glaring omission if they're not learning about indigenous communities when when we do have people going through the system we do have people getting arrested um so I, I think it's a really great step and I was able to be at the public hearing and I uh, really want to thank Representative Rachel Talbot Ross for for getting this through, and it was neat because uh, Matthew Dana was traveling for in the snowstorm, you know, to try to get over. So they were able to to kind of hold off and let him be there and speak on it, and he did a wonderful job. and And I think it was it was great for him to to finally have that voice and and see some fruits of his labor. So uh, immediately. Following the the public hearing portion, uh, since there was no opposition, they decided to go right into a work session and decided to ought to pass. So that was definitely um, a really big step and a good one. Yeah, I, I happened to be there uh, the previous year that they had this hearing, and huge difference mm-hmm. in the in the uh, committee. Uh, the 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 last time they had it, the the committee was very um, degrading. I mean, it was mm-hmm. like so. They would throw out every kind of barrier mm-hmm. for the seat and uh, every kind of reason why they couldn't do it. And even uh, public safety, the uh, the director mm-hmm. of the academy, testified against the bill. Mm-hmm. So it really it didn't go anywhere. Right. So this time it was a very different situation mm-hmm. where the uh, the committee nobody they they asked questions and but nobody. Uh, came up with reasons why it couldn't pass. Mm-hmm. Uh, the questions they had were reasonable, mm-hmm. and they were answered. And uh, nobody testified against the bill, not mm-hmm. even public safety. Actually, the director of public safety, uh, not I mean, the director of the academy got up, testified uh, in favor of the bill. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there was an amendment to it. But... Uh, yeah, so it it just was so like night and day. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just so that bill um, passed, and I believe it's uh, passed both houses. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. It's moving right along. I'm not sure so, if it's passed both yet. Yeah, um, but that. it's. I don't see a well. I, I don't see a glitch in that. But we'll. You know, you never know. Right. Hopefully, that will pass. Yeah, that was the first bill I saw come out of committee. Um, on a tribal issue anyway that was unanimous it wasn't along party lines um so so that's great yeah, it was Hopefully. unanimous and they had the it was amazing they had the work session right at right the work session was originally scheduled for something like three or four days mm-hmm. after but they had it right there mm-hmm. uh so that you know that was really great yeah i i uh made me feel good to see that that bill pass yep so that's another that's another plus and so uh Another fairly good bill that's I think is going to be going without a lot of uh, uh, debate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although I might be wrong on that. <laughs> we better be knocking on some woods. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's uh, the uh, Indigenous Peoples Day bill, mm-hmm. uh, LD one seventy nine, uh, where they changed Columbus Day to mm-hmm. Indigenous Peoples Day. Uh, so tell me about that one, Molly and. Yeah, this has been um, 
a really good experience. Um, I've, I've been involved in the effort at municipality levels throughout Maine to make the change from Columbus Day to Indigenous Peoples Day for a few years now. And um, and it really, it we meet some resistance with it, um, but it, it really sets a good tone and it brings up a lot of good discussions uh, about kind of how we really face the reality of history and our individual stories, but how we can come together and move forward in a true way. And this is another thing that seems kind of symbolic and maybe silly to some on the surface, but it really goes a long way in in promoting truth and reconciliation. And I think that's very important as we face a lot of other problems um, that we're all facing. So Indigenous Peoples Day has become a thing in I think about 12 to 15 towns in Maine now, Orono, uh, Bangor, Portland, Brunswick, a a lot of places have made the change. And it's been, uh, I think, twice before they've tried to do it at a state level, and it's not passed committee either time. So we kind of, this was another thing that's been floating around that we thought this might be a good opportunity to approach it on a statewide level for this session. So Representative Collings got with me late last year, and, and we you know, decided to, to put forward this Indigenous Peoples Day um, issue again. And it's interesting that a lot of the opposition for this bill came from people in Skowhegan Indian Pride. <laughs> so I, I don't know how much they care about actual Indians, if, if they're you know, speaking, if they're favoring Columbus over us. Um, so, and then you get the thing, well, you're rewriting history, you're disrespecting Italians, um, you're not valuing the the contributions of immigrants. And I think we did a pretty good job this time in dispelling all of those. Um, the question of Italian people, I, I absolutely think that, that the contributions of immigrants and Italian-Americans should really, really be honored. And I think that there has to be a better way to do that than Columbus Day who was, you know, a, a war criminal who was a, you know, Im- did horrible things and and is really I think the symbolic genesis of this thought that indigenous people in these continents were kind of in the way that we were savages that we had to be killed and <clears throat> you know, exterminated really through terrorism and and through war crimes. So to kind of validate him with a holiday sends a clear message to indigenous people that were still less than and, and in the way. And, and I think it um, it really undermines a lot of the progress that we've made. So some of the other concerns are that we're going to lose history or rewrite history. And I think there's a way to teach about Columbus without glorifying him or without glossing things over or and without really invalidating the experience of indigenous people of America by, you know, candy coating what happened to our ancestors. So the uh, LD-179, the Indigenous Peoples Day Act, it, it did pass committee. We had a great public hearing, a lot of support from a lot of tribal citizens of Maine and supporters and allies. And it, it passed overwhelmingly in the House, and um, it passed the Senate already. So we're in the stage right now. It'll it'll go back for um, a review in both houses, and then we hope to the governor's desk. Yeah. Um, this business about rewriting history, that seems to be uh, a, a theme, sort of, mm-hmm. uh, when we were, when I was back in the legislature years and years ago, 
and we did the uh, the S word. We, mm-hmm. we we wanted that changed. Uh, public places, we wanted to remove that. <clears throat> and John Stossel at 2020 mm-hmm. interviewed me on that. And that's one of the things he said to me. He said, uh, you know, if we change that word, then uh, aren't we going to change history? Aren't we going to be rewriting history? Mm-hmm. And I said, I hope so. <laughs> it's <laughs> about time someone told the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's my response. And and the thing is that I, I, when people start talking about how what a hero Columbus was, mm-hmm. it just tells me that they're not educated. They don't understand what he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, and I think that's uh, one of the things that the school should be teaching about right. exactly what happened, what he did, mm-hmm. so that he's really not a hero. Right. Yeah. One of the um, state senators who voted. Um, against the Indigenous Peoples Day bill, she said, if we rewrite history, we are doomed to repeat it. Uh, And it kind of bothered me because usually, you know, they they get on you about, oh, you're trying to erase things. But this notion of um, if if we don't recognize Columbus, somehow we're going to slip into, you know, genocide and it really uh i I didn't understand that at all that was kind of and i've heard a lot of arguments and that was kind of a new one so we we do still have a ways to go and i and i think this will help a lot you know skowhegan indian pride got involved with this national group that calls themselves native american guardians association and we could probably do a whole show just on them but they're kind of funded by people wanting to keep the racial slur in washington dc the football team and uh, and their whole mission, their kind of hashtag is educate, not eradicate. And it's this idea of if we get rid of Indian mascots, if we um, do away with things like the S word and, and the R word, then somehow we'll be forgotten about. And it really bothers me because there's so many of us still here. Uh, and, and I think that's the mission we're really trying to push um, with these bills even and, and with all of our efforts lately is that we're here and we're not silent. And the way to honor us isn't by assuming we're going to be forgotten about if you're not stealing our culture and our identity. So there, there's definitely layers to it, and, and we're seeing them all interact here. Yeah, good point. So we have... Uh Hopefully those those what do we got three bills here that we mm-hmm. think look pretty good. Yeah. So hopefully they'll they'll pass. Um and uh and then we have a few others. We've got the uh couple of gaming bills that mm-hmm. are back. And uh gaming has such a negative history with the tribes mm-hmm. and with the state, I mean cuz I, I you know in our experience, that has really been a very highly uh, discriminatory, I think, economic dis- mm-hmm. discrimination against the tribes, not allowing us uh, for that. So, um, before we <laughs> before we go into that, I want to just do a station break mm-hmm. and uh, let people know what station they're listening to. <laughs> so you're listening to uh, WERU, Wabanaki Windows. I'm your host, Donna Loring, and we're talking with Penobscot tribal member uh, and ambassador, uh, Moline Dana. And we're talking about the uh, atmosphere in Augusta, tribal bills, and uh, things that are going on. And right now, we're going to 
talk a little bit about the uh, the gaming bills that are back for I don't know the hundredth <laughs> time. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, I've never I've never seen anything pass under gaming and mm-hmm. uh, in my years uh, in Augusta, it's always been if there's something that's going to be an economic uh, boon. Uh, we it never it never makes it into law for mm-hmm. us for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. Uh, so tell me about these bills, these gaming bills. Sure. See, you kind of have to go back to um, the the Wabanaki Nations of Maine are federally recognized Indian tribes, and that means that theoretically we should fall under certain acts of the federal government, like the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act, that would extend us the right to operate Class 2 and 3 gaming. Um, However, in Maine, we have this uh, Land Claims Settlement Act that has been interpreted throughout the years to treat us more like a municipality than a sovereign nation. And I think that gaming is one area where this really rears its head, um, because I do think the Settlement Act has been used against us to undermine our sovereignty when it comes to gaming. Um, I think exactly what you said, because it has a potential to bring in some some funds and some money and some resources, there's this certain level of, well, you're getting special rights, you're not going to get that over us, um, and this sort of thing. And I was actually... A teenager when my dad was uh, the chief of the Penobscot Nation, Barry Dana. So I watched the referendum when the uh, tribes were trying to get a casino, and I think it was question number three on the ballot, and question number two was the slots in Bangor. And the slots in Bangor passed overwhelmingly. We lost miserably. Um, they're kind of similar proposals. So you don't have to look too far to find. Um, you know, evidence to support that this may be a racial issue. Um, yeah, you know, ex- yeah. it's so obvious. I mean, come <laughs> right. on. Yeah. Uh, so ex- expanding gaming for, for some populations and not others. Yeah. And, and we've seen, we've been at the brunt of that time and time again, you know, for, for many, many years now. So these these new bills, um, it's the, the act to authorize tribal gaming in Maine. Uh, I went down to support that last year and and it died in the committee um and there was a lot of you know hang-ups about well where are you going to put that are all the tribes going to get an equal share because because it is kind of a coordinated effort to have uh, all the communities come together and and run one facility um so i i think that they were throwing up so many what-ifs that it, it was impossible to um to foresee all the circumstances and i guess that's a long way of saying uh it was shot down pretty hard, and and I think not for great reasons. So that bill, um, in pretty much its same form, is back up. It's already had a public hearing, and and it will move towards a work session. And I I think it is a different climate now. I think we've done a good job of explaining that um, gaming and and our being blocked um, to to exercise our, our right to do gaming. I personally don't think it's it's our end-all, be-all and our answer to all our problems, but I fully support our sovereign right to do what we want to do and, and exercise our, our economic freedom and, and fall under the Indian Gaming Term Regulatory Act because we do have that right. Um, 
So until we really revisit that Settlement Act, we're going to have to uh, kind of go at these things individually. And I think that's what these gaming bills do. Um, there's another bill in that's specifically for the Passamaquoddy tribe uh, to have slot machines. There's um, some another bill in with language about some um, off-track betting and, and having the tribes have access to that. So if, if some of these do fall into place, I think we will see a, a good economic impact on our communities. And I think that it hasn't been fully understood that the the tribal nations of Maine we're, we're really, if, if we're doing well, it helps the whole state. Um, I, I think that this desire to kind of keep us down and make us fight amongst each other and make us kind of, um, you know, box box it out for resources all the time, it, it, people ha- haven't realized how much that kind of drags the whole state down. I think whenever you have your marginalized populations exercising some, some more self-sufficiency and, you know, increasing the health and well-being of their membership, it really helps everybody. And, I, and I, I'm hopeful that as some of these things fall into place, that becomes more evident. Yeah, it seems like it, there's a, a pattern of uh, historically of keeping the tribal communities poor. Mm-hmm. And whenever there's a chance for them to become, to get ahead a little bit economically, uh, there's always a, a barrier that's thrown in or rules and regulations that you have to hop through. And yeah. uh, the end result is that the tribes are fighting each other mm-hmm. for this small piece of economic pie. Mm-hmm. And a good example of that is the Elver issue, mm-hmm. which I, I look at that and I say, how? How did they ever come up mm-hmm. with a formula like like they have? I mean, it's like, the overall formula for the state, for the for the allocation, the federal allocation for the state, uh, something like, I don't know, I'm going to say 8,000 pounds or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then the tribes get 21.9% of that 8,000 pounds. So then it's broken down mm-hmm. by tribe. Well, that does not look fair to me. Right. Because you know you've got you've got uh, some tribe you got a, a tribe that's uh, getting a couple thousand pounds, mm-hmm. uh, another tribe that gets six hundred, mm-hmm. and then another tribe. Uh, there's five tribes, but the the smallest amount that a, a tribe gets is something like point two percent. That adds up to like uh, thirty pounds or something right. like that for a whole tribe. Yeah. I mean, those are that's not fair. Right. That is not. I don't know how they came up with those allocations, mm-hmm. but uh, in, and particularly, you know, when when you're getting two thousand dollars a pound for these things, mm-hmm. so they throw that up right. and uh, throw the red meat out there for the tribes to fight each other mm-hmm. about. I'm I'm going off on a tangent. <laughs> no, it, it, it's a good point. And then each tribe has um, their own licensing procedures for elvers, and and I see in every community kind of angst and and infighting over elver licenses, and and people think that some people are getting advantages that they're not. And um, you know, Penobscot Nation, we have a lottery process and and life licenses. I know at Passamaquoddy. Um, they'll give licenses to everybody and they just kind of go fish until the, the quota is used up. 
And uh, it, it is a help for a lot of tribal members. It is definitely a, a boost, but it does cause a lot of unrest. And, um, and, and I do think it sets up for some disparities across the board between the tribes. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and I've always said that uh, the, if the tribes were in any way economically self-sufficient, mm-hmm. we wouldn't have the land claims. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't need a land claims. Right. So I think that, you know, people say, well, what's the answer? Well, the answer is uh, how about some uh, economic development for mm-hmm. the tribes? Include them in your strategic plans moving mm-hmm. forward for, for these uh, various projects. Uh, you know, and work with us. Not Don't treat us like we're the ugly uh, stepsister. Mm-hmm. So, and I think it's important to understand that we're not in poverty um, because it's our fault. You know, when you look at we couldn't even vote in the state until, what, 1967 and state elections. So when you're really blocked out of processes and government and jobs and everything, and that goes through the generations, um, you can't really say that we dug this hole ourselves, but you can absolutely own your part and, and help us get out of it. Yeah. I mean, I've heard the saying, well, you know, you got to pick yourselves up mm-hmm. by the bootstraps. Well, you got to have boots. Right. <laughs> we, yeah. we don't even have boots. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Uh, so so that's the, the, the gaming issues. And, 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 and the same questions come up year after year after year, the mm-hmm. same barriers. Uh, I... I quite frankly, don't know how these bills are going to turn out. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have a good a good feeling about those. Uh, okay, so another bill that's out there is the uh, Violence Against Women mm-hmm. Act. That's in there. They're, they're putting that through at the uh, U.S. Congress level right mm-hmm. now. And uh, let me just give you a little background on the, the they call it VAWA, Violence Against Women Act. Uh, and h- here's some, some of the facts and why that act is so important to uh, Indian country. Uh, 34% of Native American women will be raped in their lifetime. 86% of the rapes, sexual assaults in which the victims are Native are committed by non-natives. 61% of Native women will be physically assaulted in their lifetime. And I've heard Chief Francis say it's, uh, what is it, one out of three? One out of three. One out of three women. Uh, 68% of the aggravated assaults in which the victims are Native are committed by non-natives. 68% non-natives. The problem is, and it goes to uh, a Supreme Court decision uh, held in uh, 1978. Uh, it's called o- Oliphant v. Squamish Indian Tribe. Uh, the uh, the issue was a jurisdictional uh, issue over no- a non-Indian. Both lower courts, the Federal District Court and the Ninth Circuit Court, as well as the dissent in the Supreme Court, concluded that the exercise of criminal jurisdiction over anyone committing an offense on tribal lands is an indispensable requirement of tribal sovereignty. Nonetheless, the majority opinion holds that tribes do not have criminal jurisdiction over non-natives 
for offenses committed on tribal lands. The Oliphant majority does hold that Congress can pass legislation allowing tribes to try non-natives. So a partial solution to all of these statistics that I just cited uh, came in uh, March of uh, March 7, 2013, where Congress reauthorized the Violence Against Women Act. And uh, it includes uh, provisions allowing the tribes, uh, which have due process safeguards, matching the U.S. Constitution so that non-natives get due process in tribal court, mm-hmm. uh, to allow them to exercise uh, jurisdiction over domestic violence crimes occurring on tribal lands in which the victim is native. So back then, 2013, I think it was 2013, mm-hmm. the uh, main attorney general at the time was Janet Mills. Mm-hmm. And the attorney general's position uh, opposed the uh, adoption of VAWA for, for Maine. And uh, they opposed it uh, on a couple of, uh, of grounds. The due process, they worried about the non-native getting the due process. Uh, and uh, the, uh, they felt that the VAWA jurisdiction would impinge on state sovereignty. So this, those are two uh, big issues that uh, the Attorney General at the time was concerned with and why they uh, didn't want it to mm-hmm. include Maine. So uh, VAWA... We've done some work on VAWA. The tribal tribal courts have, have worked on it, and uh, we it is a tribal uh, court's position, Penobscot Nation tribal court, that you know we can work these processes out mm-hmm. with the with the state, uh, and uh, so we are we are working on those issues. Mm-hmm. And uh, Governor Mills has uh, uh, agreed to work with the tribes to. To work this out, mm-hmm. so there's a state uh, bill that's in mm-hmm. that would approve VAWA for Maine, and Representative Rachel Talbot Ross is the sponsor of that bill, mm-hmm. and uh, the that bill has not. Uh, did we have a? T- uh, I don't know if that's come before. It hasn't come to hearing yet. We have, yeah, it hasn't come to hearing yet. Uh, but those things are being worked out, and mm-hmm. uh, the governor actually did send a letter of support uh, to the uh, congressional delegation and to the leaders of Congress uh, supporting the new language mm-hmm. uh, that would include Maine in the in the federal language. So and. Uh, what is what do you know about this VAWA bill? Yeah, I think that um, it was very great that the governor sent that letter of support. Um, Maine tribes had been excluded from the VAWA legislation along with Alaska Native tribes. So in this reauthorization at the federal level, um, they put language in there. Um, they, they, they did some, a few things. They extended some protections to, um, like different, like children that may be affected by crimes and things like that. So they've beefed up the law quite a bit if this version passes. 
Um, and they did include language to cover the, the main tribes. And Congresswoman Shelley Pingree gave a really great speech on the floor um, during the reauthorization uh, before the vote, talking about the high rates of crime to, to indigenous women in Maine and, and talking about how she really wants to extend this to the Wabanaki nations of Maine. And we really, um, we owe her for that support. It was a very passionate plea and, uh, and we're very thankful for it. So this version of VAWA has passed the house. Um, I think it's going to hit some trouble in the Senate. Um, the, the, you know, it's still Republican controlled and they are in favor of the, um, 2013 kind of a straight reauthorization of the original language, which wouldn't include the, the added protections and the language about the main tribes. So they're on recess right now and I'm not sure when, when they'll pick it up. Uh, and then we obviously have the hurdle of the president, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is a you know six foot mm-hmm. three <laughs> big hurdle. Um, so we have all that going on at the federal level. So the state legislation is going to be important. I personally feel that since we are federally recognized sovereign Indian nations, uh, having this at the federal level is ideal and it makes sense. But thinking. Realistically, that may not happen uh, in the way that we want it to. Having a protection at the main level is great, and I hope that we can make it happen. So um, Representative Talbot Ross's act is um, basically extending VAWA provisions to the Passamaquoddy Nation, I mean, excuse me, Penobscot Nation and Passamaquoddy Tribe um, because we have the tribal courts in, in, uh, in the position or uh, I think in Passamaquoddy case, they can get to the position uh, where we won't have to worry about the, the due process and, and all that sort of thing. So that bill will be important, making sure that indigenous women in Maine and Wabanaki women are seeing some kind of justice. I mean, hopefully at some point we won't have these high rates of these crimes and, and we won't have these really traumatic experiences going on or, or they'll be diminished um, because potential offenders will see that there's repercussions. I think right now a lot of them are getting away with some really horrific things. Um, victims are disengaging from the process because of um, you know, the, the toll it takes on them and, and not seeing any results that kind of make the trauma worth it. You know, the trauma of coming forward and pressing charges and testifying, um, you know, getting cases thrown out or getting things pled down um, and having these different struggles i we we really need a fix here and and i really hope that the legislation uh goes through yeah uh you know there's some people that feel that uh there's really uh, nothing that the uh nothing going on in the tribal communities on this Mm because you know you don't hear about it Mm -hmm. but when you talk and speak with the uh human resources people that have to deal with uh these abused native women Mm -hmm. Uh, some of these things they don't get uh, brought out into the the system because the women are very uh, slow. They don't want to uh, get into that system, mm-hmm. and they don't want to become another uh, victimized again mm-hmm. under it. Uh, and there's another attitude that uh, you know it's a, it's an Indian case, and mm-hmm. I, I've seen it. I yeah. I know. Yeah. Uh, so, 
this kind of ties in a lot of what we've talked about um, because I, I think there's a distrust of the legal system and police and, and you know law enforcement in general and and I think at some you know like you just mentioned at some different levels tribal things are thought about in a you know a, a lesser way and not taken seriously so the legislation having that seat on the on the board um, the police academy board I think helps in this situation and then talking about the mascot stuff um, and stereotypes I think indigenous women are some of the most stereotyped and objectified and, and dehumanized people in the world so I think VAWA ties together a lot of what we talked about today and it it, it is all connected yeah that's a good point uh, you're smart <laughs> <laughs> I try <laughs> runs in the family <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, okay, I'll pat you on the back. <laughs> All right, so, yeah, there is a, there is a theme uh, here, and uh, hopefully we can get this. this uh, it's LD-766. Mm-hmm. It's the state bill sponsored by uh, Rachel Talbot Ross. Um, and uh, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> So and this this and this has not come to committee for public hearing yet, as far as I right. know. Right. Right. Uh, yeah, it'll come to judiciary, but it hasn't. Um, it has, doesn't have a date yet. Okay. So we're to. There are some other bills. Mm-hmm. That are, that's going on. Yeah, there's all kinds of them. Um, I think we've we've talked about the a lot of the the biggies that are kind of narrow narrowly tailored to tribal interests and that sort of thing. But I've kind of um, been consulted a lot on a lot of different bills. There's um, a groundwater trust bill. Uh, There's a restoration of the Penobscot River. There's um, landfill capacity and waste management. So a lot of these bills going in, um, I think, historically, wouldn't have had any kind of language about the tribes, and and we wouldn't have been consulted and, and Reps would probably uh, have very good intentions, but not be aware of unintended consequences. And now, you know, there's there's a water um, stewardship bill, and one of the first kind of boxes they check is, okay, what does this have to do with the tribes, and and what would the tribes think about this, and is this going to infringe on their sovereignty at all? And and I really like the trend, and I'm really happy to have input on any of them and and support these bills as long as they're crossing the T's and, T's and dotting the I's as far as it goes with the tribes. So um, I'm glad about that. I, I think there's another bill in to set up kind of a consultation process between the tribes and the state. And I know that we're kind of revamping some of the older tribal-state relationships. So it's good. So you, there's a bill that you mentioned about, is uh, it re- River? Mm-hmm. What does that entail? That's yeah, it's um, Senator Dill. Um, it's called an act for the restoration of the Penobscot River, and it, it's kind of um, it's kind of general in that talks about you know fish health and um, pollution levels and that sort of thing, and and just really, it, I think it's more of. Uh, maintenance on the health and well-being of the river than any like sweeping act that's going to happen 
Um, but we were consulted, and uh, John Banks, our natural resources director, helped in, in the drafting of the bill. And there's language right in there um, that, you know, Penobscot Nation will be considered and, and always, you know, kind of the experts on, on the Penobscot River. And I think that that's big for us because we do have the long, contentious history of, I don't want to say control over the river, but... Um, you know, we see the river as part of our family, and we've really been passionate about defending those rights. Yeah, and the and you know, and there's always been, of course, there's the an environmental uh, question mm-hmm. on the quality of the waters, um, and I I understand, and I tell me if this is not right, but I understand that. Uh, the commissioner, uh, environmental commissioner uh, Jerry Reed, mm-hmm. is consulting with the uh, the tribes on the river qualities, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, that those consultations uh, seem to be going pretty well. It, mm-hmm. What have you heard about that? I I think uh, it's all positive. Yeah, I, I think that's accurate. Um, I know that he was involved in, in some of the lawsuits before, so there was definitely some um, caution, I guess, about that appointment. But I, I think it's been unfolding fairly well, and I know that he reached out to me personally to, to talk about um, the river and, and issues facing the tribes. And from what I can tell from Chief Francis and others, uh, the talks have been, have been moving well and that uh, I think that, you know, our... Our goal, as everybody, should be the health of the water and the environment, and it's only going to help everybody if we're holding the highest standards of quality. Yeah. Well, the other, I think the other area we got a couple minutes to go here, but mm-hmm. the other area that we're moving uh, forward on is the uh, is education, mm-hmm. and uh, the uh, commissioner uh, Pender Macon uh, is interested in. Uh, Making sure that the that the public schools are are teaching the Wabanaki history uh, requirement uh, that you know that's in the law. Mm-hmm. So and I I think that's a that's a huge mm-hmm. step forward from the last right. <laughs> administration, last eight yeah. years or whatever. And uh, so she's really she wants to move. She is moving forward on that mm-hmm. and uh, visiting some of the uh, the schools, the tribal schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and also is uh, is putting some really valuable information on the the uh, Department of Education website, uh, sort of bringing that website up to current uh, mm-hmm. times and in, in history and in, in, uh, so. And, and the other thing that I really ha- I'm happy about mm-hmm. is that she wants to uh, re-establish. The history commission. I don't know if we're going to do that in uh, committee form or commission mm-hmm. form, but uh, uh, that commission was uh, really important in as a resource for teachers and schools. Mm-hmm. And so we want to get that going again. And uh, so there's some really, uh, really good things happening in, in different areas, uh, and also in in the public safety area. We're looking at uh, things that we can work cooperatively mm-hmm. with the, the tribal police and the 
the municipalities in this in the state so we're just looking at all of these areas there's, there's no uh there's no guarantee mm-hmm. that uh things will change immediately but at least we're talking and we're all open and we and you know everybody's looking for some positive outcomes which right. are very different from from the past yeah and i think that we're entering it um not in a way where we're kind of selling out or or diminishing our sovereignty uh we're we're kind of holding people accountable but we're doing so in a in a diplomatic way and we're kind of standing firm but with respect for the processes and the offices and i think that's been really important yeah i think that uh the allies mm-hmm. uh, have made a lot of difference absolutely uh, in the in the environment mm-hmm. and and in the uh uh, the way that the, a lot of the legislators now are, they really want to help. I mean, mm-hmm. so it, it's, it's changed. It's changing. Mm-hmm. So there is hope, I think, mm-hmm. uh, on the on the state level. But things are, you know, things go slow. Right. And I'm I'm hoping that it keeps moving forward and we don't mm-hmm. take a giant step back. Right. So <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the other thing that we're the that's happening is the uh, Maine Indian Tribal State Commission mm-hmm. uh, has been without seats for like almost eight years now. The yeah. six empty seats that need to be filled by the by the governor and uh, getting very close to uh, filling those seats and uh, taking another look at how we can do things with the uh, with the uh, Maine Indian Tribal State Commission. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because you know, there's just lots of things that can be done right. with them. Because you know, we're, we're looking at a body that represents both the tribes and the states, mm-hmm. so they do need some some teeth yeah. in their decisions, and they need to be uh, respected. And so, uh, the governor is really looking at at how to make that effective. And I and I think that's uh, one of the really uh, bright spots i think uh, that we can look forward to yeah that makes a lot of sense so any um anything you you thinking about or uh, um no this was really good I'm, i'm working really hard it's busy um i would encourage everybody to check out some of these bills and if you can um talk with your reps and senators on the mascot bill, LD 944, um, the resistance to it is calling it local control, but it is absolutely a civil rights issue. Yeah, and, and you know, you can't use local control to cover up uh, a civil rights issue or an illegal issue. Right. So that that's uh, just a, a non-starter, I, mm-hmm. I think. It should be anyway. Yep. Uh any other bill you want to push? <laughs> um, oh, uh, okay, let's wind this up. Uh, and uh, okay, so um, thanks for being here, Molly, and mm-hmm. appreciate it. Uh, I thank the uh, Ambassador Dana for being with us today to talk about tribal issues in Augusta. Uh, and uh, tune in again next month for another Wabanaki Windows. And uh, the music for our show is by Rolf Richter, track called Little Eagles from his CD Dreamwalk. Our engineer is Amy Brown, and I'm your host, Donna Loring. 
Thank you. Democracy Now! produces a daily, global, independent news hour hosted by award-winning journalists Amy Goodman and Juan Gonzalez. 